Hey, beautiful friends. Welcome to the Savor Podcast. We're so excited for you to join us today as we dive into the goodness of God together. Our hope is for you to be encouraged, challenged, and entertained as you listen to hosts Stacy and Suzanne, along with special guests as they have honest and real conversations about how to savor God's word as they grow in their relationship with Christ. We hope you'll encourage a friend or two to listen with you so you can keep the conversations going. We're all about community here. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Saver Podcast. We are gathered here at our office. Yes. AKA the kitchen table. We love the kitchen table. We do. Um, And actually, we just ate and it was delicious. Yes, I know, because we were hungry. Y'all, Suzanne had me working for hours and I was having no food. How can you be working at Saver Ministries and doing all the things and not have good food? Well, and this food was especially good because it's also known as the Christian chicken. Yes, it is. We did eat the Christian chicken today for lunch, <laughs> and it was very good. But also just had um, snuck into your Halloween candy. I might have a little bit of Halloween I candy. I know, there's a big bag in there. What What is your favorite Halloween candy? My favorite Halloween candy is 100 Grand. I mean, the chewy, ooey goodness, the chocolate, the Rice Krispie Crunch, so good. Those are good. What's yours? I have so many. I don't think I could just pick one. But the one I chose to eat right now was um, the Almond Joy. I love coconut. We can share the bag together forever because you can have every Almond Joy and every mound because no thank you and no thank you. No? Uh-uh. Do you like coconut? I mean, it's okay. I like real coconut. I don't like shredded coconut. Oh. But like if you go cut a coconut open and get the coconut milk out of it and like the pulp from the coconut, I would eat that because it's more nutty. But shredded coconut is too sweet for me. Oh, I love coconut. Well, yeah. real shredded coconut's not that sweet. When you buy it shredded at the store, they've added sugar to it. Oh, well, maybe that's why I don't like it. I like at least it that's taste how it's nutty. been when I've eaten it. But you know. Yeah, I love coconut. So yeah, I used to always steal those out of my kids' Halloween bags. Well, there you go. You can have all of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Like, I don't need all of them. I'll send a few home with you. How about I that? Need, I don't need all of them. Um, but yeah, so today is a really fun day because we are getting into a really good chapter. I mean, they're all really good, but this is one that has been um, the end of it. It has been a very controversial topic. Yes, it uh, it has been in the past, so yeah. I'm looking forward to I mean, digging and, into it. And specifically for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, it is going to be good. So if you are just now tuning in and joining us and jumping into the podcast, we encourage you to go back and listen to the last few episodes. We are right in the middle of a book study. We are digging deep into the book of Ephesians. And just um, in case you haven't listened to the other podcast, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and the people of Ephesus were very worldly. They um, were like, it was a big city, and there was a lot of stuff going on in the city, and so he is writing a letter to the Christians who are there who do not have the Jewish background. And so uh, we've kind of gone through the first three or four chapters, and today we're going to dig into chapter five. Chapter five is so good that that's all we're going to look at today. So if you've been tracking along with us, you've noticed that we've tried to do two chapters per episode. 
But for this episode, we decided we're going to do just chapter five. Next week, we will finish with chapter six. So today, we're just going to be looking at Ephesians chapter five. So if you are sitting down, grab your Bible and join us as we kind of dig deep into the scriptures and kind of talk about some of this, because for some of you, it may cause questions or, ooh, I don't like that word. Yes, that's exactly how I used to feel about um, kind of the second half of Ephesians 5 um, that we're going to get to. But before we get to that, even at the jump, it is so good. Like I was, one reason we had to slow down and do one book at a time too is because really we could do several episodes on one one of these chapters. Like, oh, without a doubt. So good. Um, but when I started Ephesians 5.1, I just love it. Like I, I just want to like blow it up and put it up somewhere because it's just such a good reminder of how I'm supposed to, um, how my life should look as a Christ follower. Mm. And so it says, um, I'm going to read it. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love that. I mean, that's just such a powerful verse to me about how I should be living. Am I living a life of love? And what does that really look like? What does it mean to be a fragrant offering? Oh, yeah. So it's so interesting that you bring that up because when I was reading this and preparing, I've read Ephesians dozens and dozens of times before. But what really stood out to me this time is that it talks about Christ being an offering and a sacrifice and a fragrant aroma. And I'd never thought about, oh, well, he was the sacrifice, but it says offering and sacrifice. And so I kind of started thinking about that and what does that mean? And when I was in school several years ago, I remember I did a project looking at all of the different types of offerings in the Old Testament. So if you're not familiar with scripture really well, or even if you are, you may not, and I still don't have a full grasp on all the different types of offerings, but there were a lot of different kinds of offerings that the Jewish people in the Old Testament would do. And some of those offerings were offerings that represented gratitude. And those are the ones that were known as fragrant aromas Mm. to God. And so I think it's really interesting. Um, There were some offerings like the burnt offering, and that was definitely to make atonement for sin. And so in that, Christ did that for us. So Christ fulfilled all of this for us. Um, But one of the other ones is the grain offering. And this one was to give a gift to God in recognition of his divine sovereignty. And so I thought that was really interesting too. But the one I really wanted to kind of talk about, which made me think about this when I was reading it, is it was known as the peace offering or the fellowship offering. And you can find it in Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, Leviticus chapter 7. So, and all of that will be in the show notes. But in case you want to dig in a little bit more. But the purpose of the peace offering or the fellowship offering was to express thankfulness or to serve um, by fulfilling a vow and acknowledging that God was the source of all peace. And it was this idea of being a fragrant offering to the Lord. And um, I just, I thought that was really interesting. And it said that when you did give the meat for this offering, because most of these offerings other than the grain offering all required meat, this one, a lot of it was retained for a festive meal. 
I mean, isn't that so great to think about that we serve a God who is so loving that even in the offering that we are to give to him, he's like, yeah, but I want you to keep some of that so that you can feast on my goodness. And I just thought that was really cool. And so when you're looking at this and it talks about be imitators of God, and then it talks about walking in love as Christ did, it's pulling it all together and that Christ was this offering and the sacrifice. And so when it says he was a fragrant aroma, it's just reminding these people that, hey, listen, what Christ did, he willingly did. Like he did it to atone, to take away the sins, to to bear the wrath of God on our behalf because righteousness had to happen. And so um, there had to be punishment for sins. And so Christ was that sacrifice, but he willingly and joyfully offered himself up. And that's what pleases God. And so for me, just in verse one, where am I in my life willingly offering myself over to God? Because when I do that, he says, ooh, that smells like warm baked bread with some butter slathered on top. And and that's such a beautiful way to start this chapter because there is going to be, we, we need to remember that as we're reading this chapter. Because especially when we get to the end, when we're talking about what is a Christian marriage look like? Yeah. Or what is it supposed to look like? And think about offering yourself as a um, a fragrant offering yeah. in that. Um, and, and that's such a good point. So after we see that, <clears throat> we kind of see him go through and talk a little bit about the things um, that would keep us from um, living as his children and imitating God, right? So mm-hmm. just, I love it says, be imitators because you're children of God. Because if we think about our own children, I mean, we grow up kind of imitating some of the things that we've learned from our parents, right? Oh, the yeah. good and the bad. But for us, there is no bad in, in God. So right. it's really wanting us to focus on living this holy kind of proper life. Um, and it's talking about sexual immorality a lot that we see here. I do want to point out, because I do think this can seem a little bit confusing, so I'll let you you know, walk through this with us a little bit, but it's talking about these things and it says no immoral, impure or greedy person such as a man is an idolater. They don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. Mm. So we're all that. Right. But this is kind of like a habitual Yes. kind of lifestyle, would you say? or Well, and, and even in that, like there are some people who are Christians who have habitual right. <laughs> sins that they keep doing. Um, this is talking about, you know, really the idea of the person who is outside of Christ. Mm-hmm. And those people who are outside of Christ, they do have the tendencies to covet more, to be immoral more, to be an idolater. And um, so it's really talking about, yes, that habitual lifestyle. And the more you do that, the more likely you are to do that. And the less likely you are to hear and be in tune to the voice of God and the calling of God. Because other places in scripture, it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. And then it talks about the hardening of our heart. And so I think what the Apostle Paul is getting at here is that the more you give into those types of behaviors that are against the first kinds where you're imitating God, then you are hardening your heart to the things of God. And at some point, our heart may become so hardened that we aren't going to be receptive to anything of God. So I think that's kind of what mm-hmm. he's saying. He's not saying, hey, because he's already told us, don't forget, we're reading the whole thing in context. 
And he's already telling us in chapter one, you have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. You have been reconciled. You have been chosen. You are in Christ. You are a saint. And he is saying that to this same group of people. And so I think he's just kind of reminding them, this is what we're called to do. And then it goes on to talk about that they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think the reality is for a lot of us, when we perform those types of behaviors, um, when we idolize things that we shouldn't, something's getting undue worship in our life, uh, then I think we do miss out on the kingdom of God in our lives because Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. So there is a kingdom of God that can meet us right here on earth. And for some of us, we're missing out on the blessings of the kingdom of God in our day-to-day life because we are choosing to do things like being immoral or we are participating in some sexual immorality act that is preventing us from experiencing the kingdom of God here on earth. Yes, exactly. I I just had this conversation with someone else. We were actually talking about um, Christians who have same-sex attraction um, and that, um, you know, it, if you choose to participate in that lifestyle, but you do love Jesus, maybe you've misinterpreted scripture, maybe you, you've given yourself over to that, and God's like, okay, that's, that's on you. That's what I always say is, yes, you, you are a Jesus lover, and this could be true for anything, right? If I'm a Jesus lover and I am slandering my brothers and sisters in Christ all over the place and gossiping about everyone, and that's a lifestyle that I live, I'm missing out on blessing that God has for me here because of how I'm choosing to behave. Yes. I mean, that's what you're saying. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so definitely I agree with that. I just wanted to point that out because I don't want people to read that and be like, oh my gosh, I'm struggling with this immoral thing. I'm not going to get to go to heaven. Right. Um, but we have reduced our Christian walk to getting into heaven as the ultimate and final. And yes, that is the ultimate final goal. But there's God has more for us here. Yes, an abundant life. Right. And we talk about that actually in our overwhelm, how to overcome the overwhelm. We talk about how to have an abundant mm-hmm. life. If you haven't had an opportunity to do that, um, in the show notes, it's a free guide that we made for you uh, to help you because there is an abundant life that God wants to give to us here, but it does require our participation. Salvation is a free gift given to us, and it is not of our own doing, and it has nothing to do with my moral behavior. And so I think we have a hard time separating that because once we have said, yes, we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, done. Salvation is done, sealed, secured. You are His. Nothing will take you out of His hand. And I am talking to you, the one right now who is listening, who is overwhelmed with grief over the sin that they have committed you are still in the grip of your loving Father's hand, and nothing will ever take you out of His hand, no matter what you do. When you acknowledge Christ as your Savior, that's it. You believe and you confess with your mouth. And morality, we we often think salvation is through morality, and mm-hmm. it is not. That is adding to the gospel, and that is not what the gospel is. 
That's more about your sanctification process, which if you didn't listen to that, we actually did our last Savor Short. I think it was the last one. I think it was. It was about this idea of justification versus sanctification. So if that's something you haven't listened to and you want more about that, go back and listen to that. But I also love, as we keep reading in five, when it talks about these things, it says, don't partner with these things, empty words and things like that, right? Mm. And deceivers. What are you partnering yourself with? I think that's such an important question for us to ask and take this scripture and apply to our life. Um, Because if you keep reading, it says, once we were in darkness, but now we've been, you know, made as children of God and we live in the light. And I think that's really, really important because one thing I was thinking about as I read this, we talk about have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. Um, There's a lot more, I think, in Romans. In Romans 1, um, I forgot all my notes at home, so I don't have them, but I'll double check that and make sure it was right in the notes. But I'm pretty sure it's in Romans 1 where it kind of talks about all of this idea. But one of the things, and then before I say that about the uh, partnering, is I love where it says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. And what verse was that that you're reading This is right down now? in 514. Yeah. And one reason I love this is Matt Chandler talks about this, about how we get rocked to sleep by culture. Oh, yeah. You know, just we're being lulled to sleep, these little lullabies, he calls them. And we just, and I think that's such an important thing for us to realize. It's like, no, we need to wake up to what are the fruits of darkness that are going on around us. Oh, yeah. And what are we what are we giving ourselves into? Right. I like to think about like, you know, we see so much lately about witchcraft or crystals or all of these things that invite darkness into our lives, or we start to worship the creation over the creator. Oh, for Which sure. I think is where we ended up like with crystals. I love crystals. They're beautiful. God created them. They're beautiful. They have no innate power in them. Amen. I'm just going to say that might step on your toes a little bit, but that is the reality. I mean, they're beautiful. I have some crystals in my home because I used to go with my granddad in the mountains and we would go to those little gym places, right? And yes. like pretend we're mining them, even though they put them in the sand so we can <laughs> yes. dig them out. And they're pretty and I love them and God did create them, but we cannot worship creation over the creator. Absolutely. And, and then that's where you see some of that, the um, the darkness. And then mm-hmm. I love uh, jumping around a little mm-hmm. bit too, but jumping back up to verse 9, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to know what you're devoting yourself to and are you experiencing the light and are you walking as a child of the light, then ask yourself, is there goodness? Is there righteousness? Is there truth in my life and in my relationships? Because that's where you'll see the fruit of the light is in that your translation may have three different words there. I don't know. Is yours um, goodness, righteousness, and truth? Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. the same thing. So I wasn't sure because you know yeah. we read different translations. Which, if you guys are interested in that, then you're going to keep checking us out because we have um, a new podcast coming out maybe in January. I don't know. Stacey, so we so before <laughs> we recorded this podcast, we kind of content planned for the next uh, month or so. It was so. so fun, and our next couple months, and made a plan. And so Stacey's just telling y'all everything right now (laughs) it's all coming but yes we will be doing something where we're giving you some more information about the different translations but that's a side note that's for free as Stacey used to say that's right all of this is for free now right but but I, I do think that those three things the righteousness the goodness and the truth and that is 
that's the fruit of the light. And I just love that because that's a good thing to look back in my life and see where is their goodness? Where Mm -hmm. is their righteousness? Where is their truth in my life? Absolutely. And so then, you know, it then talks about, we. this is one of our memory verses that we do in mentorship. um, And it's 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise as, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are dark. There's all of this, you know, anti-truth, anti-goodness, anti-righteousness all around us. And so it's just reminding us to be wise. And um, one way that I do that is surrounding myself with people who also seek God's truth. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I think there's other ways to be wise, but that's a practical tip. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that's a practical tip. And I think it's probably one of the most important things we can do because the days, the times that we're in are not leaning towards righteousness, goodness, and truth. They're leaning towards selfishness, self-worth, like making an idol out of my own self. We've talked about that as well. Uh, And so I definitely think that's one of the ways that you can do that. When I think about this verse too, and it talks about, therefore, be careful how you walk. It it is kind of like a, a red flag of saying, hey, pay attention to how you do this. How do you spend your time because the days are evil? So another practical tip is don't let the day just get away from you. Have a plan when you get up. Now, if you have to adjust that plan because life happens during the day, that's fine. But if you get up with a plan to encounter the living God that day and say, hey, I couldn't do it first thing this morning because I had to get seven kids out the door and I had to get to this carpool line and to this place, then at some point, like before your day gets started, think about where can I spend some time with God that day and intentionally praying and hearing from the Lord. Just have a plan for how you're spending your days. Right. I think that's good. Be intentional. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about this kind of second half. We could keep talking about this like all day long, I feel like. But if you're reading with us and you're reading in chapter five, you're going to come to a little section that says wives and husbands in verse 22. And from there on, if you're like me, I used to shut down at this verse and just say, well, this sucks and I'm moving on to chapter six. Um, but I think it's so important. And this is, I'm going to be really honest. This is something that I've struggled with over the years. Um, even after I understood what it means. Mm. Even after I understood the principles that were laid out here. Because in the beginning, I did not. Right. And let's be honest, this has been an abused scripture. Oh, yeah. Or man has used it for his own agenda, which we, that happens all the time with scripture. So I think that um, just in full transparency for you, this is still something that I'm learning to do because I don't always do it very well. Mm-hmm. So I love that God had me really studying this because yeah. um, it was a really good reminder. Um, so as you read in this, in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So before we even go on, I think it's really important for a disclaimer. This submission that we're talking about is not limitless. Right. This is, we are not talking about abusive relationships. Right. That is not, there is no submission in that, those kinds of things. So we're simply talking about what what is meant 
in this. So I, um, what is that guy's name? David Gu- Guzak? Guzak? Yeah, Guzak, I think. Yeah, he's the commentator from Enduring Word. Yes. And um, I love how he put this word, this idea of submission. I don't know if you've heard him say this. Um, but it's sub, meaning under, mm-hmm. the mission of God. Oh, I love that. And not thinking it of submitting to your husband, which you are submitting to your husband, but it's it's because of the mission of God. Yes. So this is in response to a Christian marriage. Yes. So you can go out and you can buy a hundred different make your marriage better books, right? Or read blogs or great that'll show you how to have a great date night, how to have better communication, all of those things. And those things will probably help, right? Mm-hmm. But they will also help if you're a non-believer. Right. Because those are all things we need to know how to do, right? Have more romance. Go yes. out to great date nights. Have more sex. Have, yes. you know, all the things. Be um, better communicators. But as a Christian marriage, we should look different. Right. This is going to be extremely countercultural for you, especially if you grew up thinking, I'm a strong woman. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think kind of pointing that out to when you say Christian marriages should look different, unfortunately, the statistics, when you look at the statistics between divorce rate in Christian marriages and divorce rate in um, non-Christians, it's the same. And that's really scary. But then when you break that down and look at the divorce rate among a husband and wife in a marriage where they both have committed themselves to the Lord and they faithfully seek out the Lord through godly community, through consistency in God's word, through communion with God, those rates and those types of marriages dramatically different. I think Nancy Piercy talks about that, who really did a lot of studies specifically related to masculinity and oh, yeah. men who, and just showing that there is, there is hope here. Yes. <laughs> but again, this is kind of why I wanted to camp out in five a little bit longer. Absolutely. Um, and we might go over a little bit today, but I really think this is important for us as women to understand this. I come from a place where when Jeremy and I got married, I literally wanted to take out the part of the vows. I think I've shared this before that said, submit to Mm -hmm. your husband. I did not. I actually told the pastor, do not read this. He did. And I said it. But when he read it, I remember thinking, what the heck? I told you not to read this. (laughs) Did you not listen to me? I was telling you what to do. (laughs) Right. So, so it was a complete lack of understanding. Right. And, and I will tell you, there remains a lack of understanding in it because it is taught different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching a, um, I want to say, I don't quote me on this, but I think it was an independent fundamental Baptist. Maybe. That's a thing. Okay. I'm not sure, so don't quote me on that. But I was watching a sermon that was recently put out, and it was talking about how the man, if the woman is doing X, Y, Z, he needs to look at her and tell her to shut up and shut her mouth. And it was very, very abusive in nature and not at all what this scripture is talking to us about. Right. And we can know that because 22 says what wives are to do. And then 23 says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head. And then it goes in to talk about how husbands, um, actually, I think it's in verse 25 and you're probably going to get to this, but husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so you cannot take verse 22, wives 
submit to your husbands and take that out of context without looking at verse 25, where husbands are supposed to love their wives in the same manner. And so it sounds like this pastor who was using this scripture maybe to communicate that, that is, I mean, Christ would never tell us to shut our mouths. Like he would never speak in a derogatory manner to us. Because remember, in 5.1, we are to be imitators of God because Christ gave himself up as a sacrifice and an offering, a fragrant aroma to God. And that kind of language where a man would tell his wife to shut her mouth, there's nothing fragrant about that. There's nothing that is pleasing about that. And so you are not reading this in context if you if you purse it out like that. Right. And so as I did some more digging to figure out, like, how did we get to that thought? Um, so it goes back to 22, wives submit to your husband as to the Lord. So what I found was a lot of people will teach as to the Lord means as you would to Christ, mm. meaning that's limitless submission. Right. Correct? Like... Because we do fully submit to God, and we do fully submit to our husband, but not there with limit. Yes. If you have an abusive husband, if you have, you know, all the different things that we could probably think of. Yes. Um, you know, and if you if you if your husband was called an adultery, that is not something that you have to biblically submit to that. Absolutely. Um, or things like that. I can't think of all the examples. But so I think they're saying... The, one of the ways they look at that as to the Lord is like your husband is God right. to you. And that is 100% wrong. I don't really say that things are wrong a lot, but I cannot think in reading 5.1 right. and all the other places in the Bible that tell us to love our God with all of our heart above all things, including our husband. Yeah. I think that it means back to what he said as the Lord in your Christian obedience. Yes. That this is part of your obedience as a Christian woman. Right, absolutely. And we don't like to hear that. But I think also we've also taken this scripture and applied it to women and men in general in society. Right, and it is not. It's wives and husbands. It's not, hey, Suzanne, you better submit to every man everywhere. No, that's not what this is saying. This is talking about a marriage relationship between a wife and a husband. You do not have to submit to my husband. (laughs) Right, exactly. I can slap him around. I'm just kidding. I can't do that. I can't do that because I have to be a fragrant offering to everyone. That's right. No, but I just think that's such a good point. Point because honestly, if you look at your husband as God, then you've made your husband an idol. Absolutely. And, and, and that's, that's not healthy. That's not what this means. Also, go. I love that you brought back 5-1 in that because again, go back to where we started yes. in this. Also in 21, it tells everyone to sit, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's how we interact yes with each other see in the original manuscript we didn't have these little breaks no we did not titles to these chap paragraphs and things like that right wait that's not wholly inspired that big uh title that leads into this section that that was added later yeah i think that's uh trying to help you organize your thoughts yes even the verse numbers were not there yeah that's right i forgot about the verse numbers too but so as I really was studying this again, and it's like, yeah, this, this should look different mm-hmm. than what the world says. This should be different. This is me being obedient to Christ. 
and really allowing. Um, and as I thought about it, I'm glad that my husband has to love me like the church. I yeah. mean, you know what I mean? If we look at this, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, yeah. To make her holy. I, I mean, it's just, he has in my mind, I mean, we have a mutual responsibility to one another. Mm-hmm. But because it's talking about him also kind of being your spiritual head. Yeah. To me, that's a greater responsibility, and I'm glad I don't have it. Oh, me too. I mean, honestly, submission doesn't always come super easily for me. Um, <laughs> for either one of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. And But I think it is so much easier when you do understand the responsibility that your spouse has. So the husbands have this responsibility. They bear the weight, the spiritual responsibility of our family. I mean, like it really, that lies on Chris's shoulders. And so when it comes to raising our kids, when it comes to leading our family in godly principles and values, in um, being a family of integrity, all of that. And so I do think that that is something to point out in understanding that the husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Like that, I mean, that's hard. Like that's ongoing sacrifice all the time. And all I have to do is say, okay, yes. Right, right. <laughs> Don't you wish it was that easy? I wish though? it was that easy. I wish I was better at this too, but I am a, I am being sanctified every, every day and being back in this to, you know, today and yesterday has really kind of take a, take a breath. Like, yes. This isn't, you know, it doesn't make me less of a person. It means that we're in union yes, together in Christ. And also I would say that submission does not mean inferiority. No, it does not. So if you're feeling like you're less than your husband, that is not what we're saying here. That's something that you've bought into, but that is not what Christ has called you. Right. Um, it also says that the husband has to love himself as he loves his own body. And mm-hmm. it's about like the care. And the nurturing and the cherishing. Yeah. And this idea of leadership is not... So I think also where we've misconstrued all of this is we've taken a worldly ideal of leadership Mm -hmm. and placed it in here. That I'm just over you all the time. I tell you what to do all the time. But I read this quote um, in one of the commentaries I was reading. It's by Lloyd-Jones. I don't know who that is, but it was in a commentary. That's fine. Um, it says, he is given the position of dignity and of leadership and of headship. And if he understand what it means, he will never abuse it. He will never misuse it by being harsh or dictatorial or unkind or unfair. To be guilty of such behavior is a denial of the marriage principle and means that there is an absence of the spirit. Mm, that's so true. Because going back to what you were saying, where wives be subject um, to your husbands as to the Lord, like... When they're saying, you know, you should submit to your husband in the same way you submit to the Lord, like you said, I love that point. I think that's the best thing, that the submission to the Lord is limitless. Like, we have to submit to God all the time, no matter what. He's always right, always, no matter how I feel about it. And my submission to Him is limitless. But it wouldn't be, as like, if I submitted like that to my husband, my husband is not God. And He does have brokenness and sin in him, no matter how amazing your husband is, because I think I got a pretty amazing husband. But even in that, God has taught me through the 25 years of our marriage that Chris and I are both broken people with mistakes and sinful natures. And so in the way that we submit to the Lord without limit, 
we cannot submit to another human that way because we are broken and we could misuse that. And even going back where it said, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's like, because of Christ, not because of the other person, because we just aren't, we aren't that trustworthy. (laughs) No matter how much we want to be, we cannot do that. And only God alone is perfect and holy, and we can submit to him without any limits, but you cannot submit to other humans in that same way. And the word that love here, when it says is agape love. Mm. Um, so I think there's four. I think there are. I think four. there's four yes. um, Greek words for love. Yes, and they all kind of mean something a little bit different. But this agape love is like this kind of love that is covenantal, that is not based on how you feel, that is um, very decision focused, mm-hmm. and kind of like that fragrant sacrifice. Yes, right. That aroma that's so um, good. And then when we think of agape love, we often think of. Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just thought that was great. But to give, like I was trying to think of an example of what it looks like to submit to your husband as your spiritual head. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean like, hey, I don't want to hear what, like if I was Jeremy, I'll be Jeremy, you be Suzanne. Okay, and I, <laughs> I can do that. You be Jeremy and I'll be Suzanne. Let's go. And I'm like, no, that's not what we're going to do. That's just not it. You're wrong. That's not it. To me, it was a conversation of like, hey, what do you think about this? And then it's like, well, I don't know. Let me pray about this. Let yes. Me, you know, it's not an authoritative kind of, right. at least that's been my experience. No, I totally I agree with that. And I think that's what scripture is, is saying. Yes. So I thought of an example. Many, many years ago, I felt like the Lord had laid on me, on my heart, to that we should think about adopting. Mm. And I was like, oh, I don't want to adopt. I mean, my kids were both older at this point. I mean, at least Drew was old enough to, like, go to the bathroom by himself and feed himself cereal and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, I don't, you know. Which is hugely uh, helpful. If you're a mom listening and your kids have not gotten to that point in life yet, hang on. They will. And it gets so much easier. And, like, so thinking about adding anybody else that once you've (laughs) gotten to this stage of motherhood where it's kind of like, you know, you're doing, you're less exhausted because you're doing less. I was like, oh, I don't know. And so I kept praying about it. I kept feeling like God was putting that on my heart. And so one day, and the weird part was like, we were not in a great place in our marriage. But so I told my husband, I said, I feel like God is maybe calling us to adopt. And he was like, hmm, I'm not getting that, but let me pray about it, mm-hmm. you know? And so he prayed about it. We talked about it a little more. And he was like, yeah, I just don't think that that's what God's calling us to. And so despite the fact that I thought maybe God was telling me that, I submitted to Jeremy in saying, no, I don't think that that's, we're not going to go there right now. And he didn't close the door on it forever. He just said, I don't think that's it for now. Yeah. And I really, I, I don't know. I can't sit here and tell you for sure I heard God wrong. Maybe God put that on my heart so I would learn to practice this idea of submission. Who knows? Well, that's mind blowing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe. But so, and at that time, I had no idea, but our marriage was kind of about to implode, you know, which would have not been good for us to adopt, uh, you know. And so it's kind of like, I know that's like a, an example that seems like a bigger thing. And so we do have to 
there's smaller things, but that's just something I thought of as an example. He wasn't like, no, we're not doing that. Don't ever talk to me about that again. Oh, yeah. I think the more common examples that I have struggled with in my marriage are submitting on how we're raising our kids. Mm -hmm. Like, we're in unison on the big things, like right. foundation of Christ, be a family of radical hospitality and generosity. Like, we're, we're, we're good on those things, but it's like when can Emma go out on a date? When could Joshua go on a date? Is it okay to do this or that? Like it's in those little details where the submitting part becomes a little bit more challenging and a little bit harder. And uh, that's where there's a lot more prayer that has to go into it. And so those are the places where my heart has had to change because Chris and I have not seen eye to eye on the usage of technology in our home with our kids or the boundaries around friendships and datings. dating. We haven't always seen eye to eye in that, and there's been a lot of prayer. But in that, when we have disagreed, just like Jeremy didn't shut you down completely, Chris was very kind. He was very loving. He was very compassionate. He listened to me. He wasn't degrading. He wasn't angry. He didn't shut me down immediately. And if we didn't see eye to eye, we would pray. We pray together. Uh, if, by the way, you're not praying with your husband on a daily basis and you're married, I encourage you. It's one of the best things you could ever do in your marriage. It transformed my marriage. And I know it feels awkward at first. It doesn't for us anymore because we've been doing it for so long. It felt super weird in the beginning. Anyway, but in those moments of times where we disagreed, especially in parenting roles, praying together and then praying separately for 24 hours about it and then coming back together. And almost always we came to a place of agreement. And now there were still times where I had reservations and one of those happened and Chris was like, no, I think it's okay if our kid does X, Y, Z. And I'm like, I don't think that's okay at all. And, but I submitted. And then I also secretly was like, Lord, if this is not your will, stop it from happening it stopped. It didn't happen. So I'm just saying, you know, but it all worked out. I still got to submit to Chris in that. And the out. So I think even if our husband is a godly man and he's seeking God and we're not seeing eye to eye, I think even in all of that, God's providence and sovereignty works it all out. And we can just keep praying and asking the Lord to change our heart, to change the situation, to prevent it, whatever, because he's a God who hears us. Yeah, and pray if you feel like God's really laid something on your heart and maybe your husband's not there, but you really feel strongly about it, pray that God would lay it on his heart. Um, if if it is God's will. I mean, That's you right. can pray that, that God would put something on your husband's heart that you feel like's not there, but you feel like God's telling you. I mean, absolutely. Oh, yeah. um, but that was a really great example. That's probably where I struggle the most um, is because I think I'm right. Yeah. I mean, oh, if yeah. we're honest, right? I mean, of I think I'm right. Of course I'm right. So we have put out the caveat that, you know, you are called to submit under the mission of God to your husband um, in these ways, and he has to love you. He has to protect you. He has to shield you. He has to, um, you know, if if God was telling us that, Jeremy's responsible for 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 that, for not following through, if, yeah. if it was. But that's another day. But... My point in that is, like, we also can't choose to submit to our husband when we think we're right. Only when we think, I mean, only when we think that he's, he's right. right. Yes. Because it agrees with what we think is right. That's right. That That's where it really gets hard. 
Oh yeah, it's easy to submit when we're on the same page. Yeah, but it's it's in those times when we're not on the same page that I still have to have a heart of submission mm-hmm. to Chris because Scripture tells me that, and I don't get to like not read this part of Ephesians and just ignore it. Yeah. You know, and so and then I love the very last verse in Ephesians five says, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And I just want to say, there's a book out called Love and Respect, and it's about marriages and how to have a godly marriage. Women, you must respect your husband. It's the single most important thing you can do. Like for us as wives, we need the love of our husband. We need to feel cherished and we need to feel loved. Your man does not need to feel cherished, okay? Like he's not going to bed at night thinking, man, she did not cherish me today. He may go to bed at night thinking, she disrespected me in front of my friends today. And so I, in love, am just saying this to you ladies because it is something I have learned from the 25 years of marriage. One of the most important things you can do is show respect to your husband and don't ever badmouth him in front of other people. Like, I'm not saying don't call your tried and true friend who you're struggling, you know, you're in the middle of a struggle with your husband and you're trying to talk to her about getting some godly counsel. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about at a dinner party. Don't make fun of the things that he's not good at and like joke about it and be sarcastic about it because... It is disrespectful to him, and it is one of the things that can absolutely break your marriage apart. And so um, just to encourage you in that. And then the husbands are to love the wives. And it's not saying we don't ever have to um, show love to our husband. It's both. But I think this verse is speaking to what is the heart of a man that really need. He needs to feel respected in his home by his wife. And a wife really needs to feel that love. Right. And again, I think this is just a really, if we really understood, and I I don't know that even this conversation has fully grasped what all this means. I mean, I feel like we could go deeper and deeper in this. And if this is a place you really struggle, feel free to reach out because there's a lot of resources out there. We can direct you to some of these commentaries um, and these scholars who talk about this Um, because the idea is a really beautiful bond in unity in Christ for a husband and a wife. Um, And I think if we understood and tried to live this principle more, our marriages would look very, very different. And I'm also don't hear us saying that we've got this down. Marriage is hard and there are going to be days you fail at this. There's going to be days your husband fails at this. There's going to be days your husband lets you down in this. And there'll be days you let your husband down because we are broken people. But if we are aiming and, and, keeping our eyes focused on what this Christian marriage principle is, I think in the long run, it will greatly bless us and bless our kids who are watching. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. And don't forget, it is the metaphor that God uses Mm. about Christ and the church because Christ is coming back for his bride, the church. It is the metaphor that God chose to use through scripture. And so we are supposed to absolutely embody that metaphor in a way that brings the fruit of light into all relationships, into all areas. And so it's hard. It's not easy, but it is worth it. It is absolutely 100% worth it. Okay. So Suzanne. So you may not be married and that's fine because 
we are also called to submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. And that's in verse 21 before we even get into the Christian marriage part of it. And so there are people in our lives, whether it is in this season, your husband, you guys are, you know, not in a great place, or you just want to show somebody that you want to be a fragrant offering to yes. them and you want to bring them a fake, a fragrant offering. I think this is an opportunity for us to sit and maybe pray, ask God to put somebody on your heart specifically, maybe, or you know who that person is because you know um, who maybe you're struggling with or who is hard to love. Who is it hard for you to submit to out of the reverence for Christ? And we want you to do something special for that person. Now me, because y'all know how much I love ease, yes. I thought you know, you could get them a coffee because I think coffee might be my love language. I'm not sure. Or bake them like a homemade cookie or their favorite dinner. But Stacy was sharing with me that her dad had a recipe for a most delicious caramel cake that he would make every Thanksgiving, right? No, that I made for him. Oh, that you made for your dad. Your dad loved it. My dad loved it. And I can't say that I made it every Thanksgiving. I've made it a few Thanksgivings for him, and he loved it. So um, when I think about that, I just think, oh, that would be a sweet thing to do. So, And it literally tastes sweet. And as we're moving closer and closer into Thanksgiving, you may be looking for some great Thanksgiving recipes. So I will include this recipe for this caramel cake. And y'all, I am not a baker. I am just not a baker. But I made it, and it was really good. Well, that's all that matters. So there you go. And I you think can do just it. as you do that, think of that person, do something nice for them, make them cookies, make them this amazing caramel cake, buy them a coffee, and just to let them know that you're thinking of them, put yes. yourself last and put them first and do this for them. And I think that it will really bless you in the end. Yeah, absolutely. So as you're doing that savor moment and reading Ephesians chapter five, you know, we would love to hear from you. So like Suzanne said, please reach out to us. Savor Ministries at gmail.com is a way you can email us. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We would love for you to be a part of the Savor community on Facebook. So you can, there's a link in the show notes. You can, um, get invited to be a part of that. But we would love to keep the conversations going because community is important and we exist to serve you, to help you taste and see the goodness of God. So thanks for joining in for this kind of extended episode. We hope that it blessed you. And let me just real quick speak to the woman who may not be married, who was like, why did I listen to almost an hour podcast about it? Because if you ever want to be married, man, it is better to learn these lessons ahead of time then wait till after the fact, right? Oh my gosh. That's probably one of my biggest regrets because I waited almost 18 years to figure this principle out and I'm still learning it, honestly. But I feel like I really didn't let my kids see what this looks like. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, if you're single, this episode was definitely still for you if, if your desire is to be married one day. Absolutely. Well, we hope that you guys have enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed recording it. We love you guys and we will see you next week. Thank you for being with us today here at Savor. This podcast is a ministry of Crosstown Church. For information about SOAR Women's Ministry or Crosstown Church, please visit crosstownchurch.com or download the Crosstown app. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please remember to like, subscribe, or leave a review. This helps people find us.